0: Welcome to Divergent Unicorns, a podcast created to provide actionable steps to people that have been typically underrepresented in the venture and startup landscape. I'm your host, Havia Stewart.
1: And I'm your host, Ima Essien. We are both HBCU VC fellows and have experience in venture capital.
0: On this episode, we have Amira Ujid. She currently works in venture capital as a director of portfolio engagement at Revolution and previously worked in BC at Metaprop NYC and is a founding team member of HBCBC. She is also a Howard University graduate. Let's hop on
1: into the interview. Can you tell us about a moment that really defines you?
2: Sure, wow. I've had a lot of moments that define me, but one in particular that I think speaks to this kind of conversation and where I'm at now is when I actually left Accenture um, with no job lined up. So here we go. Um, in 2017, I began working at Accenture, and I was aligned to Accenture Digital. Accenture, as most people know, and if you don't, it is a global, well-known consulting firm. And usually um, when you come in there with experience, you get aligned to one of their kind of like, Pillars. So there's like Accenture Strategy. There's Accenture Digital. There is technology, you know, so forth. So with the experience that I had, I was aligned to Accenture Digital as a Level Nine Digital Consultant, and I worked on internal communications in the marketing and serviced, you know, forty thousand global Accenture employees. My role was internal, internal facing, and. What's interesting about my role at Accenture is that before I was at Accenture, I was at this company called Westwood One, um, music publishing company, really loved it there, loved the team. Then Accenture calls me, right? But in between time, I knew that I wanted to be in venture capital. I didn't really know how to get in VC. It always seemed like this tight, exclusive, Illuminati, all white voice <laughs> kind of thing. and I didn't really have, like, the network, or at least I didn't think I had the network to kind of get into these roles, right? Like in venture capital, as you know, um, people weren't posting jobs. And it was very closed off, and especially around the time where I got interested, which was around, like, 2015. So, again, I don't want to talk in circles. circle. So, fast forward, right? Accenture calls me. They want to hire me to be aligned to Accenture Digital. I'm like, hmm. I'm trying to pivot away from marketing and media. And even though that's where my background is, I want to get in VC. Lo and behold, Accenture has an Accenture Ventures arm. I'm like, no way. Like, this is it. This is my ticket in. Oh, my God. I've been hoping, you know, for some sort of clean pathway into venture capital. And here it is. So I accept the job at Accenture Digital. Well, at Accenture, working in, on the digital team. And I quickly learned that in the corporate structure, you can't just move how you want to move. There are politics, it's bureaucracy, um, a role has to actually open up on that team. It just isn't what, it wasn't as seamless as I thought it would be, but because I have this hustler spirit, I hustled my way into becoming an Accenture Venture Ambassador. And I learned a lot about corporate venture in Working in the space, um, understanding the space, kind of taking in all the knowledge and skill sets that I had, that I was learning from um, the principles that was aligned to Accenture Venture Arm. But as I got more excited about it, I realized there was probably not going to be an opening for me <laughs> um, on this team. So during that time, I said, you know what, I'm placed in a position to where I really want to go after what, you know, my dreams and my goals and I actually ended up leaving Accenture. And when I left Accenture, I didn't have anything lined up. And I'm like, okay, there's nothing lined up, but I really wanna to speak to my passion. I really wanna wake up every morning and feel like I'm doing something that speaks purpose to, into me. And I wanna be happy with what I'm doing. And I wanna feel really satisfied and I wanna make an impact. And, you know, I, it's just not clicking for me here. So what happened was, I bought, actually, a one-way ticket to the Bay Area. Got a one-way ticket to Los Altos. And for me, to answer your question, Ime, that was a defining moment for me. Because when I went to California, I didn't know, you know, too much of anyone there. I did have someone to stay with, thank God, um, in the South Bay. But I had to learn the area. And I wanted to go there because I'm like, you know, but venture capitalist (laughs) and entrepreneurs, you know, where are they birthed at? Where did they start at? And I knew that that was the Bay area. So I bought that one-way ticket to California. As you all know, I graduated from Howard university and our network is deep. So I knew that I knew, I knew that I would know some people out there and I kind of just took for it. I took the leap, you know, unemployed, went to California. The Bay is really expensive. Had to rent a car because, you know, I'm coming from New York City and New Jersey where, you know, you can get on the subway or the train anywhere. The Bay was not like that. So, you know, I'm navigating this new space and meeting new people. And lo and behold, after being out there for some while, I connected with someone, this guy named Mike, um, also a Howard alum. He worked at Netflix. And I explained to Mike what I wanted to do. And this is, again, after me connecting with entrepreneurs and speaking to other VCs and knowing that this is the space I wanted to be in. Mike tells me, you know... I have someone in my close network and her name is Hadea and Hadea is looking for such and such like, you know, marketing or events, some kind of partnerships role. And I think you'd be great for that. And, you know, Hadea is the founder of HBCU VC. And I'm like, wait a minute, here is a nonprofit organization in venture capital. They need someone with my experience, my background, and This is what I came out to the bay for, to land an opportunity in venture capital. And while it wasn't like working directly with the firm, it was close enough for me. It it was impactful enough for me. And to me, that kind of set the precedent for the rest of my career. And that was actually my real life intro into VC. It was taking the leap of faith without having a job. I was actually unemployed before Hadia and I actually signed off on contracts. I was unemployed for six months when I left Accenture and, you know, I kind of just did it, you know, had the grit in the hustlers mentality to pursue my dreams. And now I'm doing what I love. So that moment was really, really defining for me and everything just kind of fell in place. and made sense afterwards, right? Because when I was going through the process of leaving Accenture, it was scary. There was a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, um, so much was going on at the time for me, but um, once everything fell in place, and I can say this now in hindsight, it was like, wow, that was all meant to happen.
0: Yeah. So before we deep dive into your VC experience, considering this is an HBCU podcast, you said that you attended Howard University and of course you mentioned it had a very deep network. So like, why did you initially decide to attend Howard and then also has that network been beneficial to you in terms of venture capital?
2: Yeah. So you want to know what? I always knew I was going to Howard. So growing up, I was really, really, really heavy. in like the hip hop scene, the rap scene, I always loved music. And I had dreams of actually, believe it or not, becoming like, um what do you call it? Like a radio host. Like I'm like, I'm going to have a radio show I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And anytime I would listen to rappers rap, you know, or listen to any kind of songs, anytime I'd watch anything that was really filled with culture, like the show A Different World, it was like Howard staring me in the face. All the rappers talked about Howard, and I love music. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, my favorite artists were traveling to Howard Homecoming. I would watch shows like A Different World, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, the culture the black people, the diversity, you know, just everything about it just spoke to me that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to Howard. And then when I dug deeper, I'm like the legacy that Howard leaves, the network that Howard has, Howard was my number one decision. And to be honest, here's a fun fact. Howard was the only college I initially applied to until my mom made me apply to Rutgers University in New Jersey as a backup but I didn't, I had no intentions on applying anywhere else. It was Howard, 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 Howard. I was going to graduate a bison and that was it for me. Um, Speaking to the network, Howard, I mean, these are a group of people, which I'm sure most HBCUs can say this, but of course I'm going to be biased and speak to the Howard culture. There's just a certain level of Tenacity and hustler spirit and grind that a lot of us had at Howard. And because we had that grind, you know, I knew that a heavy percentage of us would end up in unconventional workforces. We'd have these entrepreneurial careers. We'd be probably in entertainment and arts or we'd be you know, creating like the next million man march. You know what I mean? It was just the spirit of Howard, the teachers, the classes that we spoke. And one thing that I'll say is, this is the, um, the classes that we spoke, the classes that we had. Um, one thing I'll say is at Howard, what I love and what speaks to the network is that everyone that went to Howard had like this Howard pride. And some people would take it as, oh, Howard, people think they're better than others. But it wasn't that. It was just that we had so much pride of going to Howard that I could not, you know, I could not know anyone, right? And let's say I'm out here looking for a job or applying for a role. If there's like a, the hiring manager went to Howard 20 years ago and looks at my resume and sees that I'm a Howard grad, I'm already in. That was like the power of the Howard pride and the network and why I was so strong and how it kind of helps me now. In venture capital is, again, I, I was surrounded by people with their own ideas, with their own kind of hustlers mentality, but also with like a, you know, do now and ask later, you know, do it now and ask for forgiveness or permission later kind of mentality because we did have to do a lot of, you know, kicking down the doors when it came to financial aid and admissions. And this is not meant to bash anyone, you know, at Howard, but, you know, being at um, HBCUs we created a lot of our own processes. We implemented our own structure and our own standards on how we wanted to receive information and put out information. So I knew that this network was golden and I knew that this would be the network that I would need to rely on because we all just really, really, we just really cared about each other in that way if we didn't even know each other. So as an example right now, when I went to the Bay Area, there's like a Howard Bay group. I'm in New York right now there's like an HU in New York group. So, whether you're searching for like the next black doctor or whether you know, some you're hiring or whether you just kind of came into New York City and you're looking for a job, if you send that to the Howard New York group, people will circulate your request out to their internal and external networks. And I think that the connection with each other just really came from all of us sharing one thing in common is that, and that was. We all love Howard, no matter what we kind of like a family, right? No matter what you kind of go through internally, externally, we're wearing that like H-U on our chest. Very, very proud.
1: That's awesome. So did you discover that you wanted to work in venture capital uh, at Howard University or was it while you were working at Accenture? Like what was the spark behind that?
2: Yeah. So I'd always been entrepreneurial. That's just kind of me as a young kid. I used to kind of like making little traps or my own sort of concoctions to use, especially uh, when it came to like natural beauty. So as an example, I would always take like olive oil from like the kitchen and mix it with, I'm trying to like think of what I would like, mix it with some grapeseed oil and then make like a hair mask. I was always into kind of like Eastern medicine and Eastern kind of strategies for natural skin products. So for me, I was always entrepreneurial. I just, you know, didn't have any structure around that. Like, you know, how do I start my own business? What do I do from here? So going to college, you know, it's like, okay, you go to college, you graduate, you get a job. Right. So while at Howard, I majored in marketing, but truth be told, my first major was in accounting and it was in accounting because growing up, I said, you know what? Again, I'm into the whole rap scene. I'm into hip hop. This is how it was when I came into Howard. And I'm like, Rappers are not spending their money wisely. I want to kind of help them manage their money. So I'm like, am I a money manager? Um, am I investing their money? Am I an investor? Okay, so that means I got to major in accounting. Wrong. Um, accounting, you know, those classes just were not right for me. <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah, no, This is just not hitting it for me. And I'm, I'm so creative. You know, I'm like that little piece in the middle of... Uh, innovate in the middle of ideation and execution which is innovation and for me it just wasn't hitting it right so then I'm like okay finance boom this is it finance second major at Howard I'm switching it up no an ant. wrong those classes still weren't really doing it for me so then towards the end this was either this was like yeah towards like the end of my freshman year at Howard I switched to a marketing major like okay you know what 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 can I do that I'll, I'll still take finance classes? I still can take accounting classes, but I can be creative and I can do fun things and I can be innovative and I can come up with new ideas. And that was marketing and I was a marketing major. So throughout the time, you know, at Howard doing marketing, you know, big shout out to Dr. Myers. Well, Dr. Myers Ferguson, she got married after I graduated from Howard. We would do a lot of like, our own projects, like we build our own projects. I took an entrepreneurship class. We would create our own programs on the campus. It was a lot of ideation. At the School of B at Howard, um, every year, each... So if you're in the School of Business at Howard, it's your freshman and you get placed on a team. So throughout the entire year, your team is putting together a very, very, very thorough business plan from like the 21-cap Ford Pass program. And lo and behold, my team, Team 1A, we won first place my freshman year out of maybe it was like 15 other teams. I can't remember, but my team won first place. And this was in 2009. And our idea was actually a smooth, a healthy smoothie shop in one of Howard's um, centers in one of Howard's uh, community centers called Blackburn. And we ended up winning. And that's when I realized like, Oh my gosh, like creating this business plan, making a logo, coming up with a name, this is like the coolest thing ever. My energy, you know, my energy is already high, but it was heightened coming up with, you know, our own business. So kind of as I got older, I'm like, all right, I have too many ideas. One minute I'm doing a smoothie center. The next minute I'm making like olive oil, skin cream, and hair cream. I have way too many interests. How do I channel this? So I kind of put a pause on that, right? I, I just didn't know how to channel it, but I continued with you know my marketing classes, graduating Howard. But it was still in the back of my mind. So the spark to want to be entrepreneurial or have something to do with the entrepreneurial ecosystem, with a startup ecosystem, started at Howard, but it was also paused at Howard, right? Because I went through graduating and then getting you know a job as a media strategist and then working with uh, digital media sales and then In between that job and Accenture, I came across an article from Fred Wilson, Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures. And I'm like, Union Square Ventures, what is this? Venture, what is that? The more I read and the more I dug, I said, oh, this is the industry for me. These people are unconventional. They're investing in all different sorts of startups that they're interested in, not just one. How do I get in? So, To answer the question, and I know I probably talked in a bunch of different circles, to be entrepreneurial and to work with startups and to create my own startup started at Howard. But then as I did more education and more snooping around, I landed on the article from Fred Wilson. And then after that, I watched this documentary on Netflix called Something Ventured. And I would say, After watching something ventured on Netflix, I knew that my end goal would be in VC. I just had to create an efficient plan on getting into VC.
0: Yeah. So we've talked about your journey from Howard to consulting, moving to the Bay to get connected, getting inspired by something venture. So, and now you currently work in venture directly. So do you have any advice for someone looking to land a role in the venture space?
2: I do. Um... This is going to sound super cliche, but one, I would say network. Build a community. It doesn't have to be a big community, right? So when I say the word community, I'm not talking 100 people plus network. You don't have to be the person that's super engaged on a Slack channel. You want to build a community in a network of entrepreneurs. The end game in venture capital Entrepreneurs, startups, exits, right? Everyone's end game. The startups are the products. So, what you want to do is you want to network with these startups. You want to make yourself invaluable to CEOs, to founders. So that way, when they're looking for their next investor, they're like, you know, well, by the way, have you heard of, you know, so and so? Have you heard of Amira? Because she's helped us a lot in, you know, building our company. So, one, I would build a network around. Startups versus building a network around VCs. I kind of start with the CEOs and the founders. Second, I would assess the skill set you already have and see which firms need that. So again, I got into venture by work, first working with HBCU VC, but I didn't start out as at HBCU as like a managing partner, right? Like Jorge, I was the marketing manager. And I'd already had the marketing experience. So if you have marketing experience, if you have finance experience, you could even be an educator. You know, what What are you educated on? Maybe there's some sort of platform role that they can use educate education around like business development or sales or like, I don't know, like, you know, I'm just kind of just throwing things out here. But one is building a network around founders. Two is assessing the skills that you already have and use that to navigate your way around versus what are venture capitalists looking for and how can I quickly, you know, uh, do my resume to make it fit that. Um, so that's my, those are, that's my advice. Is that the only question you asked, Dehevia? I can't remember.
0: Um, yeah. And I just want to follow up. How did you build your sense of community?
2: Yeah, you know how. I
0: was talking to Adi about this and she was like, community is very important and it's something that entrepreneurs don't spend a lot of time on and don't really think about, but it's very important in terms of like, helping you get to where you need to go.
2: You know, it is. So for me, again, kind of just taking this all back to Howard, right? It's like Howard, Howard, Howard. Um, I, I kept a fairly cool relationship with most people, even if we're just associates. Um, I was fairly cool, you know, with everyone. I kind of always made myself valuable to anybody and it didn't matter in what, right? So let me just give you a little bit of background on myself, you know, a couple of fun facts. I had a lot of jobs growing up. Um, A whole lot of jobs. So I worked in like the grocery industry, bagging up groceries in high school. I worked in retail. I used to work at Hollister in high school. I used to work at the shoe department, right? So I'm at clothes. I'm, you know, working in clothes, working in groceries, working in this. And when I was in college, I worked in restaurants. So because I had like a vast experience in different industries, I felt like I was always valuable to someone for something. Whether you needed advice on something, whether you needed... um. A, a job somewhere, um, whether you wanted to know how to kind of do your resume. And this is like college, right? It's like building a college network. Um, I was always just that person, very easy to talk to, very personable. That kind of comes with natural characteristics. And I always joke, like, I can be in the hood or I can be in the Hamptons. <laughs> and people know that, like, I can be in both places. I'm very flexible and I'm very adaptable. So I think that's the one, if I had to pull out one term from your question on how do I build community? Adaptability and flexibility always been two of my biggest strengths. Can adapt and I'm flexible. Um, Kind of tapping onto the flexibility that I just mentioned, I sadly, right, I'm a victim of my own success here. I was always reachable for anyone. You could call me at six in the morning on a Saturday. I pick up the phone. You could call me at two in the morning on a Friday and I, you know, if I don't pick up, I may text you and say, you know, Hey, what's up? What's going on? Even with my job now, and I'm not actually suggesting that everyone do this. Obviously blocking off time for yourself and mental health is important, but just answering the question of how did I build my community? People knew that they could always count on me. I was reliable, you know, I'm reachable. I'm reliable, was flexible, adapt, you know, being able to adapt. And I think, that is how I built my community. And one more thing I want to say, I'm very authentic. I'm almost super authentic. I'm like, maybe I gotta scale it back a bit, authentic. So when you're building authentic relationships, people are gonna follow you wherever you go. When you have that like infectionist energy, right? So for me, I always say, I love building, I love networking naturally, right? Like if I'm if I go to a festival. And I meet an entrepreneur or I meet a business analyst. You know, I meet any anyone, honestly. And we just we connect. We're having a good conversation. It's a good vibe. I'm like, wow, this is great. But a lot of times when I'm when I know with entrepreneurs especially, it's like no one wants to feel like they're forced to network because then it feels forced. It's like you're going to this event with the purpose of networking, then it's kind of not ingenuine. And that's just my personal opinion on networking. It's like, okay. We're all going here to network. So now it just seems kind of like structured. Whereas let's say, I'm going to give you guys an example. Let's say you did an event, right? And you invited a bunch of different people. Like, you know, you invited a bunch of founders. You know, you invited a bunch of VCs, but they don't know it's only going to be a room of founders and VCs, but you're just doing like an event, a, a wine tasting or um, some sort of like a, like a, an event to t- test out a new restaurant, right? I'm making something up right now. So now everyone knows, hey, we're all just coming to like taste some new wine or we're all just coming to taste this new food at this new restaurant. And then when you start having conversations, someone's like, oh, you're the founder of this. Oh, you're a VC here. That to me provokes a more authentic relationship. So just kind of networking authentically, being flexible and adaptable and, you know, having a high level of emotional intelligence, that's really how I was able to build, um, my network in a very authentic way, right? Like I'm not the person where and I, I sometimes want to get better at this. I'm not the person where I have a brand and my Instagram has 10,000 followers and uh when I ran Metaprops 22 week accelerator program, it's everywhere in the blogs and what I'm doing. You know, I like to I like to be low key because I like to be authentic and whenever it comes to me it comes to me and I think people in my network and in my community know that.
1: That's awesome. And you even talked about how you got your job at HBCUVC. Can you really talk about the early days being a founding member of the team there?
2: Yes. Oh, I loved it. Um, HBCUVC, what was really important for me there and what really drove, the, you know, everything is the passion behind, obviously, like Hadia's passion behind HBCUVC was unmatched. Jorge's passion behind HBCU VC was unmatched. So the both of them together, you know, sold it for me. You know, the company was, I was already sold on the company because it was helping HBCU and HSI students for careers and venture. And that was something that I wish I had when I was at Howard. So I was already on board. So being, you know, on the, on the team, very, very super early stages, it was great. It was, you know, you're setting these benchmarks and these metrics and the KPIs and you're building something from the ground up. It's always fascinating. And I would say it wasn't even a challenge. Like something that people see a challenge is that we were all in different locations. I was in New Jersey. Jorge was in New York. Hadia was in Oakland. So we'd have like multiple video calls. We'd be on Slack channels, but it helped me understand the landscape of telecommuting and working virtually and being more on top of it and being more productive with your day and being able to get things done in your day and still build something from the ground up. And it was very, very exciting. I mean, there was nothing for me more fascinating than looking at the end to end process where you, you know, you guys, as you've been through the process fellows applying, and then as you guys are applying, we're thinking through the program. I'm thinking about the marketing structure. I'm thinking, what do we need to push this out? I'm doing a lot of the programming, a lot of the logistics. We're going to have our summit, you know, and it's exciting. It's exciting when you all show up in San Francisco with your HBCU VC t-shirts that I, you know, shipped out to Oakland, uh, you know, walking back and forth from my apartment. I remember in Nork, I found like this super, super, super great designer. His name is Baja um, super great artist to do the T-shirts. I'm okay. Who can I have to do the HBCU VC T-shirts? What's our logo gonna be? I mean, there was nothing better than taking an idea and seeing your idea in real life, and that was really the early stages of um, um bringing the ideas to execution learning your skill set when it when it comes to execution because execution is not easy. I tell people all the time, having an idea is not the hard part. It's executing. That's the hard part. So, being able to execute with Hadia and Jorge, you know, communicate virtually, um it was fun. It was fun times. It was challenging. It was fun. Um when you have people that are easy that can work together very well, um it just worked, right? It's it's your it's a small team. Even right now at Metaprop, Metaprop, and I know we'll get to this in a bit, but I'm just gonna spearhead this. Metaprop, we are an early stage venture capital firm that invests in real estate technology, also known as prop tech, you know, short for property tech. And we invest from pre-seed up to series A so our companies they range some have two founders just like a like a founder and a co-founder two co-founders some have a team of five team of two I have some that have a team of 50 right it all ranges but one thing I do for these companies right which most platform people do for early stages is you want to ramp up the talent and this will all connect in a minute so you want the best team anytime I do a surface level vetting of Potential candidates that want to speak—I speak. I'm sorry. That want to work for a MetaProp portfolio company. I always give them the rundown on what it's like to work at a startup. You have to actually like the people you work with. Unfortunately, you know, like at Accenture, it's ten thousand people. I don't really have to like everyone I work with. You know, it's in and out. Sometimes you're, you know, you're a number. And again, this is this is no shade or anything to Accenture or any big company. I want to say that first and foremost. on this podcast, but I'm just kind of stating my personal experience. If you're working with 10,000 people, 50,000 people, or even like a larger team, some, you know, personalities will clash and that happens naturally. We're all human beings. But when you're on an early stage company, when I was working at HBCUVC was the three of us you kind of, you want to like everyone you work with. And Hadia had a great job at matching her team. And that was was amazing. I mean, to be able to work with people who you actually like, who you could actually hang out with and go get dinner with outside of work, that is the ultimate golden ticket. Even my team at Metaprop, you know, we are 13 full-time employees. Very lean team. Lean team doing maximum efforts and force multiplying across the board. I can sit here and say that I like everyone I work with. There's everyone, you know, anyone that I work with, we can go do a social activity that has nothing to do with work. So for HBCU, VC, being on like the founding team and being there so early, liking everyone, and understanding what, it, and, and having that feeling of what it's like to work with people you like, I mean, that was unmatched. And actually, I carried that with me throughout every single job interview process after. Said, you know what? This feeling, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose the feeling of joining a team where I don't like everybody who I'm working with. And, you know, luckily for me, I've, I've been able to keep that. I've been able to keep that when I was at North Venture Partners, and I've kept that up till now at Metaprop.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned that you work for Metaprop Ventures, which is um, a venture capital firm that invests into real estate technology. So what are some emerging trends that you see within the space?
2: Ooh, it's fun. So um, construction tech is really big in real estate technology. But one thing I'd say that's emerging that's exciting and pretty cool is tenant experience apps. People think um, real estate, uh, you know, institutional building buildings, you know, getting in and out of your building, you know, maybe with a door code similar to this one um, company called Latch or like Doorport, one of our portfolio companies. But for me, what's emerging is tenant experience in construction tech, construction tech is really cool because then you get to involve, you know, subcontractors and contractors and the builders. And it's so cool that these, these operations that were once, you know, pen and paper are now being automated and being formed into technology, but tenant experience apps, I love when I say tenant experience, I'm talking, let's say, you know, we all work for said company and this company during the onboarding process rolls out an application and on this application to all its employees, we now know what gyms to go to in the area, what restaurants to go to in the area, what social activities are happening in the area. This is what you would call, you know, a tenant experience app, whether it's for the commercial space, residential, multi-family, anything that's really enhancing the tenant experience, especially in the age of like the millennial to me is really, really emerging. I would say a lot of the times in real estate. What a lot of people are focused on is how do you kind of like cut costs but retain tenants? So when it does come to to tenant experience apps, the one thing that you want to make sure of is that you don't, you aren't just a nice to have, but you're a need to have. I have this one company who I absolutely love, um, called the Lou founders, Rebecca Lima and Dominique, Dominique, and the Lou is a B2B. Subscription for uh it's like a, for women's bathroom contain for women's bathrooms containing um like hygiene like hygienic non-contaminable products for women and that is what you would call a tenant experience right us women travel all the time you know I mean men travel all the time too but with women you know. <laughs> We we go through, you know, a lot of different things. We go a lot of different things that can happen, you know, unexpectedly, getting ready for these meetings. And we're like, oh my gosh, our hair, our looks, our bag has so many different products in it. But what the Lou does is when you visit these offices that have activated the Lou in their buildings, you can use some of these products. And it kind of just adds that ease and comfort to your day. They also do facilities management. They work with like the facilities managers across um, the board, you know, for whichever um, company that they're working with at the moment. And they really, really manage the inventory and they streamline the process into getting like these, these products and services that women need. And I'm happy to say that um, coming in the near future, they'll be doing the same thing for men. It'll be called like the John. So it's, um, that is what you call a tenant experience. And I think that that is emerging right now. And that's what, I mean, that's what I'm excited
1: about. Wow. I did not know anything about this pain point and it makes a ton of sense to the, for this to be super helpful to people. And so I know that for your full-time job, you look into the real estate and property technology. Do you, Are you interested in any other sectors? Yeah. So
2: for me, you know, as the head of startup services, I'm really, you know, working very closely with the partners, whether it's tapping into their network to facilitate intros and developing internal processes to really just be better, faster, and stronger at information sharing or expanding our core pillars, you know, to really, really support our startup CEOs and founders. I'm their dedicated resource, and I want to make sure that everything that I'm doing and all the offerings that I'm giving to them can really accelerate their growth. So, um, Ime to answer your question, I'm I've always been intrigued by health tech. You know, I'm entrepreneurial at heart and I do hope to one day become a founder. And, you know, something that I'm working on will fall under the lines of health tech. And I think it's right on time as, you know, the coronavirus kind of hits and I've always kind of been obsessed with healthcare. And again, like Eastern medicine kind of starting from when I told you I was younger and I used to kind of put concoctions together. You know, when I'm sick, I'm not really running to, the medicine cabinet, but I'm like, okay, I need some ginger, I need some edelberry. I'm gonna make my own concoction and drink it. So um health tech is something that I am really, really, really interested in and hopefully I can tap into it on a different landscape and I'd be like a founder.
0: Yeah, so like where do you see the future of the venture capital and startup space heading? Like what do you think? more minorities can do to find their way into the space?
2: Hmm, good question. Honestly, I'm going to be biased to myself. I work across platform. Um, We call it startup services at Metaprop, but platform is really that added value that you're providing to your startups after you cut them the check, after you wire them the money. And I think a lot of focus is going to be on platform support, right? It's going to be on platform support. And I kind of look at it like, We're not investors. We're actually service providers. We're like not in the investment industry. We're in the service industry. We're serving these CEOs and these founders. How can we help educate them? How can we accelerate their companies? How do we help get them in the right mental space? Because there's a lot going on in this industry. Are there any wellness apps that can help? When you're a CEO, there's so much you have to deal with. How are you tapping into your mental? So I think platform is what you want to focus on. I know everyone's like, you know, I want to be the investor and I want to say where the money is going. But I think for minorities, I would focus on the skill set we have, the grit we're born with, the hustle we have, and how do we hustle for other founders? Like we've been hustling for ourselves. And to me, I think that that's where the industry I don't know if that really answers the question of where the industry is really headed, but I can see a lot more emphasis being placed on platform support, that I can tell you, platform and operational support across the board.
1: I totally agree with you, Amira. I think value-added services coming from venture capital firms is so important. And I think it's like people like you are really like pushing that forward. I know there's like the VC platform group and they host huge conferences every year. And even though when I even oh even better. And like I remember while I was working at Intel Capital, they have like five different people doing business development, doing marketing, like helping their uh helping their portfolio companies be successful. And so really thank you for highlighting that and really emphasizing that for founders and everyone else. And so I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. I've learned a lot. It's so great to hear like how you joined HBCUVC. Like I never knew that story. It was like through a friend, and you just had a great time working with Hadidah and Jorge in the early days with you guys all being virtual. Like it's not often that you hear that like three people who don't live in the same location getting connected and finding a passion behind one thing. So that's just awesome, and I think you really made an impact of my life. And definitely Dehavia's Life's too for us being both Class 1 and Class 2 fellows in HBCUVC. So thank you so much.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you.
2: No, thank you both. This was um, this was great. I'm always down to talk to you guys. You know, I'm always in the HBCU VC community forever. And anything that I can do to share any further resources to your networks, to your listeners, um, I'm always here to do it. You know, no matter what time or day, I will make some room. Again, I am flexible.
1: <laughs> thank you for tuning into our podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, like, rate, and share this episode with a friend.